This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. But if you've been listening for a while, you know that we've begun a series of conversations focused around technology. The past couple of episodes have really been big picture about how we wound up at this moment as a church and as a society where it feels like screens and other kinds of technology have permanently changed our lives. But now I want to shift the conversation to what are we going to do about it? Technology isn't going away. So how are we as Christ followers and as loving, caring adults invested in the lives of the children in our communities supposed to respond? To help us answer that question, today's guest is Brett McCracken. Brett is the senior editor of the Gospel Coalition, and he's an author. He's written several books, including his most recent, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. You can learn more about Brett and The Wisdom Pyramid in the show notes of today's episode. We talk a lot about wisdom with technology and why that's so important, but we start the conversation around Brett's book and how it all came together. Thank you for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. The the origins of this idea go back a few years. I was originally speaking at a conference uh, that Humble Beast was putting on up in Portland. And they asked me to give like a TED talk, like a 10 minute talk on how how to find true joy as a Christian in a fake news world. So with, with this kind of, with this internet landscape where it's kind of post-truth, fake news, alternative facts, we don't know what to trust. Right. How do we flourish? How do we find, how do we find uh, joy? And, and that's when I got to thinking about wisdom and how we, we desperately need wisdom to navigate this like information landscape. Um, and yet part of why we're not wise is that, is by virtue of like the, the horrible information that we're like feeding on like a buffet yeah. throughout the day. And, and so it's kind of this chicken or egg thing where we we've never needed wisdom more in terms of discernment and knowing kind of what sources are credible and not credible and what, what tweet is clearly false and what tweet is seeming like it's true like we need wisdom. Like that's that capability that I think allows you to go through life with a good sense for those things. Um, but at the same time that we need, never have needed wisdom more than ever, I think it's harder and harder to gain wisdom because you become wise by virtue of your intakes and, and what's coming into you. And so all this like toxic stuff is coming into us and it's changing our brains and it's, it's uh, eroding our souls and uh so we're struggling to be wise at the very moment in history where we we need it more than ever so that was kind of my thinking and i um and so as i was preparing for my talk at this conference it just struck me that like what the food pyramid was for healthy eating in terms of like physical intakes that can either make you physically healthy or physically unhealthy the same idea is true for our wisdom, right? Like you can become wise by virtue of good intakes in terms of ideas and information, or you can become foolish by virtue of bad intakes. And so I was like, what if I like applied the food pyramid for wisdom? What would that look like? How would I kind of compose the different 
categories and what would occupy the base layer, the most important category, and what would be at the top in the dessert category. So that's where I came up with this idea. That, and uh, the I had a graphic designer friend of mine like kind of make it look cool, like as a little, you know, <laughs> sure. a really visually appealing um, graphic. There's so much we could be feasting on and and a lot of it is making us sick. So we just need guidance for better consumption of information. And so I do want to say, you know, I think everyone needs a good graphic designer friend in their life. Um, That's so true, right? It's it's, so handy to have that person. It's handy to have that person that you can go to. Um, I'm fascinated by the book. I think, you know, I'm 30. So I feel like everyone who's kind of around my age is as experienced exactly what you're talking about in a particularly unique way. One of the things that my parents had to figure out is how to navigate this world where I understood it faster than they did. And they didn't really know the rules. And now for my right. generation of parents, I kind of know how the internet works. Yeah. Why we're talking, but I still have to be able to put up guardrails for my kids to make sure they're consuming the right parts of this pyramid here. What's the foundational level mm-hmm. of this pyramid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the foundational level, the, the bread group, if you will, um, is the Bible, God's word. Um, it's, it has to be the foundation because this is the only like infallible source that we have as sure. Christians. We, we believe this is God's direct revelation. It's his, you know, his wisdom in in written form um which is so amazing right it's we take it for granted i think as christians especially those of us like myself who grew up in the church it's like the bible we have like 10 copies in our house and you know whatever like it's it's just we take it for granted but it's truly an amazing thing once you like start to think about it like the god of the universe who created all things who is sovereign over all things he saw fit to actually give give us a look but beneath the hood, so to speak, a, a mm. glimpse into his, into his mind and into his purposes and his character. And what an amazing treasure that is. And so we, if we're talking about wisdom or just anything in life, flourishing in life, it, it really does have to be built on that solid foundation of, of scripture. And one so of the that's things, why yeah, that makes sense to me. Because one of the things that I think, even if someone who's not a believer can begin to access what you're talking about in your book and in a lot of your work, not just this most recent book, is this idea that you feel differently taking in the information from scripture than you do taking in the information from Twitter. And I think one of the big mistakes that we've made is beginning to sort of treat all information as the same when you do such a great job describing how not all information is created equal. So, The next level is the church. We'll come back to the church in a second. Then we go to nature, God's creation. We go to books and art. I'm just giving people a taste because I want people to buy it. But then we get to this dessert level. The internet and social media. The internet and social media. Online life. Yeah. So I feel like the church has ceded ground to culture Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. information post-truth world. Mm Mm-hmm. Where do you feel like we went wrong? Like as you begin to diagnose how the church, why the church has arrived at this moment, like where do you feel like it started? Hmm. I think Christians have been sometimes too quick to follow the trends in terms of technology. And, and because Christians have a very good instinct to like want to 
utilize anything at their disposal, you know, to get the message out and to be a be effective on mission in a changing world. So we have that good impulse and it leads us to adopt a technology, a new technology very quickly and try to like um, harness it for Christian purposes. And, um, and so I, th I think that's a good impulse and there are good ways that that is done. You know, I work for a Christian website. So of course I believe that, right. you know, there's the gospel coalition is, is something helpful. It's a way to use digital technology, podcasts, video, YouTube, all of that to, to hopefully bring helpful um, discipleship materials to the world. But even as someone who works in that industry and as you do, I think it's important that we, that Christians think very carefully and critically about the media forms themselves and how they, how they can shape content and, you know, Marshall McLuhan, famous writer, he had that phrase, the medium is the message, which I, I just think about a lot. And it's this idea that like the same message told through different media forms can change the message, right? Like sure. um, the words, I love you spoken in person mean one thing, but texted over the, <laughs> over a phone means another thing or um you know written in the sky with a skywriter you know that, that means something else so the way that we communicate the media forms matter so i think christians should be both excellent users of it when we are using it we should aspire for quality but we should also be critical users of it in the sense of we need to be really aware and not naive to the potential downsides it's something that people feel but I just, at least personally, haven't seen a lot of conversations around it that feel uh, particularly relevant to me as a dad or to me as someone who's trying to be in this Christian leadership space, right? Because there's a lot of conversations around the, the dangers of this technology, right? And I, I, am, I am grateful that you do take the time in your books and in your work to be honest about that because the ubiquitous nature of this particularly social media does kind of numb us from the dangers associated with it because it, it, you can't treat it as dangerous when you're on it all the day, every day. Right. However, I also think that there needs to be a more conversation about us taking an active role in a, being critical users, like you're saying, so that we as the church can begin to lead and shape culture rather than right. being blown, right. uh, blown in the wind by it. Totally. Yeah. And that's, that was one of my, like the, one of the big things I wanted this book to be was not just kind of a, a screed against technology. <laughs> There's a lot of books like that out there. Yeah. I wanted it to be like a helpful resource for how to live well and wisely in the internet age. So I'm not, I'm not calling people to like chuck their phones in the trash and like go offline and live off the grid, you know, sure. in, in some desert, um, I don't think, I don't think that's the answer. And I don't think that's what Jesus would want us to do. Right. Like as missionaries, ambassadors in this world, we have to just acknowledge this is the world we live in. You know, people live their lives online. This we're not, there's no going back from this digital world that we're in. So how can we be faithful and wise as Christians in this space 
and make sure that we're not being corrupted by it, which is always a risk as a missionary, right? You go to a hostile, you go to a hostile um, environment as a missionary, there's always the risk that you are changed more by that place than, than they are changed by you and your message. And I think the same is true of the internet. So I wrote this book as kind of a guide and a help for Christians to live carefully and wisely in the internet age. So, no, yeah. and, and I think in, it's becoming increasingly less helpful because mm-hmm. of the ways in which screens and social media do become more and more prevalent in our lives. I want to get to how this comes down to kids and child discipleship and more of what people are used to listening to us on the podcast rather than just Ross's mm-hmm. opinions about technology. But how do you feel like this relates to uh, one of your other books, Hipster Christianity? Do you, mm-hmm. Like, what are the sort of common lines you see between the way that yeah. uh, the church has lost some ground with um, yeah. culture and the phenomenon of cool Christianity? That uh, that yeah, phrasing no, that's is really almost contradictory. Yeah, no, that it is. Yeah, and the whole point of hipster Christianity, my first book, was to kind of point out that it's a inherently kind of <laughs> contradictory idea. But yeah, I think it's it's it is connected in the sense that what I was saying about how Christians have maybe been too quick to adopt a new trend or a new technology out of a good impulse, the missional impulse, it can also become a liability because we're not thinking critically enough about how does this change the message or what, what new problems are introduced when we, when we rush into this new trend. So that was kind of my point in hipster Christianity is when, when we as the church are too obsessed with relevance in the sense of kind of keeping up with the Joneses, like whatever the culture is doing, we need to do it. Like, you know, whoever the the most stylish celebrity is, like our right. pastors need to start looking like that celebrity. Like, and so you have a bunch of pastors who look like Justin Bieber and it's just weird, right? It, it doesn't help. Like, um, and so I think the same idea applies to technology. Like, um, we need to just be careful that we don't go so quick to jump into these trends like, oh, TikTok. Oh, let's figure out how to have like a TikTok Bible study, you know, maybe yeah. <laughs> like possibly, but I would be really slow and, and, and careful to think through that. Um, so, yeah, they are connected. That's a really good question. I haven't been asked that question yet about how those two books connect. Great. So thank you. I mean, I, I feel like one of the, the through lines, and I'm just beginning to kind of scratch the surface of, of your work here, is the ways in which we, as believers, can live life to the full mm-hmm. and how that is a much different story than the ways of this world. And yeah. Yeah. particularly with technology and information, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast work in the world of children's ministry. And a lot of them, almost all of them are parents. And I think to go back to sort of where we started this conversation, there's this tension now where for my generation, it was, okay, when do you get a phone, right? That was a big conversation. That's still a conversation. But now because it's become even more widespread, it's essentially, I think a better question of how do you use the phone that I'm going to give you? Right. So how does this, post-truth age that you have spent so much of your time in relate Mm -hmm. to kids and families and like the conversations around the dinner table. How does that play out? 
it's a really fundamental question, right? Because if you're going to, if you as a parent are going to teach your children how to be wise or teach them where to find the truth, what to trust, it's a problem if you yourself are struggling with that. And I think a lot of us are struggling mm -hmm. with that. So, um, so I think this book is helpful for parents and for teachers and for educators of all sorts, because hopefully it'll get you a little healthier and, and what you're where you're looking to, to kind of find solid ground in this post-truth age so that you can then model that for the next generation. I wrote this book really as an outgrowth of becoming a parent. I, all three of my other three books I wrote before I became a dad. And this is okay. the first book that I've written since becoming a dad. And I think, uh, you know, the book of Proverbs is kind of the book in the Bible where where we think about wisdom, you know, Proverbs is a good place to look. And as I was reading Proverbs a lot in the early days of becoming a dad, there's all this language of fathers and sons, like son, if you, if you do this, you will be mm -hmm. happy in life. Son, if you listen to my instruction. And um, so I think for parents, right, wisdom is one of those like categories that we really should be thinking a lot about. How do we impart wisdom to our kids? How do we, how do we instill habits in their lives so that they will grow up to be wise? Um, so I think a book like this, I hope is a resource for parents to, yeah, to not only have dinner table conversations and tell their, their students or their kids, um, you know, how to find wisdom and how to, how to find truth, but maybe even more so to help parents model it in their own lives. Because I think so much of, so much of how we grow in life is just by seeing it modeled for us. Sure. Um, and, and I think for kids, especially what's, what's more compelling than being told you should do this, or you should read your Bible or you should, you know, value the church is just seeing people who live that and who value those things in really beautiful ways. You know, I, I think when the, in the Bible chapter of the wisdom pyramid, my wisdom pyramid, I talk about, my memory, which is so like indelible in my memory of like being a little kid and seeing my dad, like with his big old Bible, like leather bound <laughs> with like his name written in gold and like papers coming out of it, church bulletins coming out of it, like scripture memory cards stuffed into the, you know, yeah. it, it's just like the, his Bible, my dad's Bible was like a character in my childhood. And I think that, him modeling like the Bible being important in his life was way more powerful in shaping my love for the Bible than any like idea that could have been taught to me. Like you need to read your Bible, you know, that's like being told like you need to eat broccoli. It's good for you. <laughs> it's so much more helpful to actually just see how other people are affected by it and, and treasure it. Right. Yeah. So I think that's my advice for parents, right? If you, if you want to have wise kids, start with making sure you're living wisely and that your habits are things that will rub off on them because because they see that they're making you healthier and not more foolish. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Why are kids leaving the church after high school? What if the strategy to change this started in children's ministry? 
The Child Discipleship Forum is where children's ministry leaders, senior pastors, and parents gather to collaborate, pray, learn, and dialogue about the most critical factors to shape long-term discipleship in children. Featuring speakers like Ed Stetzer and Gabe Lyons, as well as children's ministry champions like Dr. Wes Stafford, we will unite together at the Child Discipleship Forum in Nashville or online on September 16th and 17th. This is a critical moment for us to shape the future of the church and make the greatest generation of disciples the world has ever seen. Save your seat at childdiscipleshipforum.com. I'm curious how you, how prescriptive you get for folks. Because I think one of the things that is, again, really prevalent in this kind of conversation is where people go, you know, spend two hours on uh, your phone or delete all your social media apps or those types of uh, hacks, essentially. Yeah. But I see what you're, the conversation you're having is much more value driven. Was that a conscious choice or how do you arrive at that place? Yeah, I didn't want it to be like overly prescriptive. So it's not like the food pyramid in the sense that, you know, I'm not saying like you need to have four to five (laughs) helpings of the Bible every day and three to six helpings of nature every day. Like, um, so I don't get into like the nitty gritty of like hours of your week need to go to this place or that place. I really wanted it to just be an overarching kind of um, value rubric of like, here are the, here are in general, the sources that are going to be more conducive for wisdom in your life. And here are the ones that are maybe going to be less helpful or potentially unhelpful. So yeah, it's, it's not, I didn't want to be like some sort of like guru who's like, here's your like 30 days to like wisdom or, you know, something like that. So it's really just, it's kind of like a common sense thing. Like I'm not, I'm not inventing any new like genius program. It's, it's just a reminder really that in a world where this, the allure of social media and the internet can be so all in all encompassing that we can easily find ourselves spending all day, every day online. And it, it has kind of slowly come to occupy the the foundation of our personal wisdom pyramids to our detriment. Yeah. I think it's, I'm, I'm just wanting to remind people that that's not a recipe for health. Like if, if the internet and social media, which is fine, if it's in its proper place, right. Yeah. Just like having a piece of pie with ice cream is fine. If you only have it on occasion. Um, but if you make it the staple of your diet and the foundation of where you look for truth and for wisdom, it's not going to be the answer. So I'm just wanting people to kind of have that gut check by being reminded, okay, well, I need to maybe reorient my life a little bit around these better, more nourishing sources. Totally. And gut check is the perfect word for it because I think that folks do have a sense just naturally of when that's out of whack for themselves. When you are too attached to your phone, you know, you have that moment that I'm sure every parent who's listening to this has had where your kid is like, Hey, can you stop looking at your phone? And then you want to chuck your phone out the window and never see it again. Right. But the, I, I appreciate making that more value driven argument because I feel like when it comes to discipleship in particular, any sort of prescription you would have written would have immediately become outdated by the time you got it through your, your publisher and your editor because of how fast this technology moves. And I think, 
this this conversation on wisdom so naturally lends itself to a conversation around what is actually discipleship because you your kids will be, have the potential to be discipled by something on the internet rather than something that's going to actually show them what life to the full is as you begin to navigate what that looks like for you how do you plan or how conscious are you of creating sort of this is what discipleship is going to look like in my home or in the context of my church community as opposed to what it might look like from information technology mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think about that dynamic all the time of how discipleship really is happening all the time in in everyone's life like we are being discipled by wherever we're spending our time really yeah. is, is, is what shapes our hearts. Like we are, we are creatures who are always being formed by inputs, by things that are coming into us. And, and uh, it's just kind of a troubling dynamic in today's world that if you look at just kind of the sheer kind of ratio of hours in the week, we maybe have a couple hours of like church and Christian formation, you know, right. maybe Sunday morning for a couple hours, maybe like an hour on midweek Bible study, whatever, Awana. Um, but then you have dozens potentially like, you know, upwards of 60, 70 hours a week that, you know, every so often you see new studies that come out about how many hours Generation Z is spending on their devices or screens. And it's so troubling when you look at that Mm -hmm. amount of time versus, versus like the paltry amount of time, like two to three hours a week that people are having really overt Christian discipleship. So that's, that's what concerns me is that the internet and social media is a very potent for forum for discipleship. And, you know, I'm sure you have, have seen friends and, and peers who have, have spent so much time on in a, a certain corner of the internet, whether it's like a podcast or a, you know, a Reddit community or I don't know, a Facebook group or something that they began to be shaped and their heart becomes taken by that in a way that sometimes pulls them into dangerous directions. And I think in, in the last year with the pandemic, it's, it's especially been true because people have been more online than ever before and less in their church communities tangibly physically than ever before and so that combination has been really horrible because you have people you have people being discipled even more than they would have been by whatever community they're finding online whatever voices they're letting speak into their life from youtube or podcasts or articles or whatever so yeah that, it's a really troubling environment and i think about it a lot not only for my kids, but for myself, right? I, yeah. I, I want to make sure that I'm not being more discipled by the, what I'm seeing on Twitter on any given day than I am <laughs> by God's word and my church community and other things. So no. I think that, yeah, go ahead. No, that's great. Cause I feel like folks, folks can understand that, but hearing how you are thinking about that tension is really helpful because I think that people, uh, especially now, like to bring it into this current moment, as we begin to have the world open back up to us, right? As, mm -hmm. as whatever way that that makes sense for the community, for the folks who are listening to this, 
it's important to recognize the ways in which we have been changed during this time and discipleship yeah. has changed during this time, including being more online than ever before, but how yeah. different the discipleship of the, during a pandemic looks like than person to person engagement. And my hope yeah. would be that for a church community, for people who are listening, that there is something that is naturally an invitation for folks to experience mm-hmm. true community, to experience true, true discipleship and more of that foundational wisdom that you're speaking to because the beauty of nature, to go back to another level of the wisdom pyramid, is so mm-hmm. much more apparent and you just feel it on a soul level because of the way God made us yeah. than yeah. the beauty of a really well-crafted Twitter thread. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to land there, and you've been really generous with your time already. So, um, where I think it's it is kind of ironic, and I want to make sure people at least we can at least acknowledge that we're both. I mean, you much more uh, prolifically than I, but we both are people who are talking about an online thing while also existing in on in a digital form. Yeah. How other than making Christian content? How do people begin to navigate what is actually healthy uh, information, technology, social media yeah. consumption, rather than just going, unless it has a Bible verse on it, I'm not going to pay attention to it. Right. I think one of the things that I say in the chapter on the internet and social media, which is the second to last chapter of the book, is that a part of using that technology in a healthy way is actually using it to point to the lower categories of the wisdom pyramid. So yeah. if, if the way that you use the internet and social media is actually about pointing others to the Bible, to the church, to nature, you know, maybe it's, you know, sharing a beautiful photo of, you know, a mountain or nature, like maybe it's sending people, sharing an article about like a certain Bible passage that's like mm. a helpful, like, commentary on that passage like that that's what we do at the gospel coalition we're trying to push people you know using the internet and and uh, kind of meeting people where they're at online we're, we're then trying to like support the local church by really like arguing for the importance of plugging into a local church and and we're very clear that we are not a, a substitute for the local church and that's another thing that i would say is like as christians on the internet we have to be so adamant that like this is not a replacement for all these other categories like at its best it's a supplement to these 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 more helpful places where you can find wisdom so if christians are doing that if we're using social media in a positive way we're like celebrating the beautiful things in the world the arts nature you know great books um that's another that's a category of, of my wisdom pyramid books and I love nothing more than like sharing on Instagram a, a photo of a great book that I read and trying to recommend that to other people. Um, I'm someone who loves like music and Spotify and I'm, I love using my platform on the internet, the Gospel Coalition to like create playlists and point people using the internet, point them to beauty. Um, and, and of course the Bible is something that we were always pointing people to um, at the Gospel Coalition, and I'm sure you in this podcast for a while, like you ultimately are pointing people to the church and yeah. the Bible and these 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 places. So I think that's what I would say is is we have to just recognize that 
as tempting as it can be to make the internet our home and then where everything everything ends we need to view it as more of a means to an end and kind of a road that takes people to better destinations rather than just the place where we all land and spend all day every day like that's where it gets unhealthy like when it's this just all consuming experience of life like that only makes us sick as as individuals as a society but if it's a place that's pointing us to better better nourishing sources of truth and that's then it's serving a good purpose i think the resilient disciples podcast is powered by awana Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week. Mm-hmm.